Welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. Dismiss the kids if they haven't already left. You guys can go enjoy Kid City. Uh, probably half to a third of them are my own. Um, but uh, I love our Kid City here. Um, one thing, you know, we're a smaller, younger church, so there's not a ton of kids here. So sometimes you compare to a big church where there's a huge, well-developed kids program with something for every age, um, could feel like missing out. But I actually feel like uh, my kids get more uh, being at a church like this um, because they don't just spend all their time with 20 other kids their own age, but they get to interact with people like you. Uh, they get to know uh, Arjun and Rachel and I- Isaiah and Seth and uh, get to have role models because I know there's going to come a day where they don't care what Cindy and I think, but they're going to look up to you guys uh, that are a little younger than us. So I love the dynamic we have for our kids here at Trinity Life. Well, my name is uh, Archie. I'm a member here. Uh, If you're new, uh, I'm not the one who usually uh, preaches, uh, gives a message in the morning. That's uh, Pastor Mike. And uh, he was uh, wanting a little bit of a break this week, so he asked me to uh, fill in. And uh, yeah, come again, because Pastor Mike is like the Floyd Mayweather of preaching, (laughs) undefeated in his proclamation of relevant truth. And so I hope this morning I can just maybe be Conor McGregor in the last 10 rounds. but the, the beauty, the more I'm in church, the more I realize uh, it's not about uh, who's up here up front um, giving the message or singing, uh, but even those of us who are, we're just here to share what God's taught us. Uh, it's not a performance, uh, so it takes the pressure off. I hope this morning that from this passage it's really impacted my life, uh, that it'll impact you guys as well. So we're in the middle, or near the end, of our 101 series this summer, uh, where we're looking at how basic truth uh, engages society. How these things, maybe uh, if you've grown up in the church for a while, we've thought about, uh, we know we use those words without thinking of them much, but how do we see these things um, in a new light, or how does our city see them, and how can we take these topics and relate them to uh, the world around us and to Toronto? So today we're looking at the church, at Church 101. Now, it's good to ask, what does the world think about church? Uh, in 2012, um, Huffington, po- Huffington Post Canada did a survey of 1,000 millennials, and on one of the questions, it, uh, they found that 55% of millennials uh, have never go to any sort of religious service. Uh, and that's increasing, because if you look at Stats Canada survey from uh, 2005, it was 33%. Uh, that had never gone or never attended religious service. And in 1985, it was 25%. So it's gone from 25 to 33 to uh, 51% people that never darkened the door of a religious service, let alone a church. Uh, I think simply church is less relevant for people than it used to be. Uh, One reason, a book, Hemorrhaging Faith by uh, Penner, he attempted to give some explanation for this. He said, One reason for the drop in church attendance is that Canadian society has become more individualistic. While young people are more focused than ever on attaining the credentials, internships, and education required for good jobs. 
And I, would, I work with university students, engage with them on spiritual topics. I would agree that it's just irrelevant. I don't meet many uh, people nowadays who like, have something out uh, against the church or hate the church, but just people that think that's some institutional building that is outdated mor- morally and doesn't apply to my life. So that's, that can be how our city sees church. Not as a house that they want to enter and live in. I want to uh, take that theme, because the passage does, on house today. Uh, so I've seen some pretty amazing houses uh, in the world. This summer, we were uh, on a trip in North Africa and then uh, got to spend some time in Spain afterwards. And we went to the, um, this uh, one thing that was built as a house, the Real Alcazar uh, in Seville. Uh, so this palace, uh, there's a picture of our fam there. It's got uh, these incredible arches. Every room has ceilings that are 20 feet tall. The stonework is intricate. There's fountains in the outside. I'm a, uh, at one point, I had to go to the washroom, which was on the other side. It took me about 15 minutes to find uh, Cindy and the boys again because this place was so vast. And this was built as a king's home in the uh, Moorish period. Uh, this house was incredible. Or I think, uh, oh, and if you go to the next picture, you'll see studies have shown two out of three children also thought it was amazing. So, uh, a few years ago, uh, I was on another trip to Africa at a short stopover in Dubai. And while I was there, they were in the middle of building Burj Khalifa, which, as you know, is the tallest building in the world. And at that point, it had had just surpassed the CN Tower in their height building it. It's just incredible uh, to look at. That's the next slide here. Uh, So, and and this, it has all kinds of stuff in it, but it does have. residential uh, condos there you can build, so, or you can buy. I was looking online, and there's one for sale right now for the equivalent of $34 million Canadian. I know you think that's expensive, but it is uh, 21,000 square feet. And don't worry, you have a separate room for both your maid and your driver, and uh, two parking spots. So uh, I think it's really worth it when you uh, put the value together. But for these incredible houses in the world that are at the height of the world, are vast expansion, the houses that have impacted me the most aren't these, but it's houses like 1427 15th Street West in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. Uh, that's where I grew up, where I spent my, uh, my childhood, uh, basically from where I was born to when I went to university. It's a small house. Uh, I don't realize till I went, I didn't, didn't realize till I went back just how small it was. But this was a place where I learned what it was to be loved by a family. It's where I uh, felt safe. I was kind of the picked on kid, but this was uh, at school. I didn't always like school because of that, but this is where I could come. I knew I could be myself. This was home. Or another uh, house, we, uh, um, this was summer of 1994. I was in Calgary. I was on a summer mission trip where we stayed at this Rocky Mountain College apartments. These small, dirty apartments. There were six of us in our two-bedroom apartment. I actually ended up sleeping in the kitchen uh, because uh, I got there last. And, uh, but it was the best summer of my life because I was on this trip where I was around Christians for the first time in my life, surrounded by people, putting God first and being on mission for Him. That was a house that changed my life. Or another house. Here's Arjun stretching in the morning. Uh, this was a few weeks ago when we had our camping trip. Sleeping in a tent, as much as we glorify, it kind of sucks. The ground's hard. Uh, it's cold. You don't sleep well the first night. You do the second night because you're so exhausted from your bad sleep the first night. Uh, tents aren't great houses, but that was an amazing weekend because we were with friends, with fellow brothers and sisters, enjoying each other. So those first two houses looked at, it's all about the architecture. It's all about what they look like. But the houses that really matter are the ones 
are defined by the people, the people in those houses. And here's our bottom line truth for today. The church is both the safest and the most revolutionary house in the world. The church is both the safest and the most revolutionary house in the world. Now think of right now in Texas, Tropical Storm Harvey is happening. If you were there, you'd want a house that was solid, that was safe, that would protect you. But even more, you, if you had a house that was safe enough that from there you could go help rescue other people caught in that storm. That's what the church is meant to be, a house that's both safe and revolutionary. So, uh, I don't know if this is your experience with church here or wherever, uh, whatever church you've been a part of, but I want to look today at 1 Peter 2 and see what the church is meant to be, what the vision God gives us of what the church should and can be. So we see three things from this passage. We see who this house is built on, who this house is built of, and where this house is built. I want to spend a few minutes looking at each of those this morning. So some background on First, first Peter. Uh, this was written to a group of believers around what's now Turkey. They were spread out. Uh, they were persecuted because of their beliefs. They were very countercultural. Uh, they were... Um, uh, they faced difficulty from the people around them because of their beliefs in Jesus and the community they were a part of. In chapter 1, before this, uh, Peter basically lays out uh, this new birth we have in Christ and how that gives us this uh, eternal life. Uh, and in light of this security we have, we're called to live a holy life. Uh, and now in chapter 2, he starts looking at what God is building a group of people who believe that into. If you're here and you're not a Christ follower, I hope this gives you a peek into what the church is and can be. So again, who this house is built on, who this house is built of, and where this house is built. So first, who this house is built on. We'll read the first few verses again from this passage. As you come to him, the living stone, reject, uh, oh, I just want to even pause there. I mentioned that what makes a house is the people. In the church, that's true, but even more so, what makes a house is the person, Jesus, the one who is referred to here as the living stone, who the house is built on. Uh, the church is not primarily built on a system of beliefs or a philosophy or a set of moral teachings, but it's built on a person, God coming down to earth in the form of Jesus. He is who the church is built on. So let's continue. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. So a cornerstone, uh, I'm, I'm not a carpenter, not a, a builder, I thought I'd look that up, make sure I get it right. That refers to the first stone set in construction of a masonry foundation. Now, so it's important because all other stones are set in relation to that cornerstone, that first stone that's set, thus determining the, uh, where the whole structure ends up. So if you get the cornerstone wrong, the whole building's going to be messed up. So we see that God set Jesus as the foundation of the church. He knew that our own morality, our own goodness, those things weren't enough, weren't the right foundation that would set the church upright. But Jesus was chosen and precious to God. And God wants Jesus to be chosen and precious to us as well. This was his plan from the beginning. In this passage, uh, Peter was quoting from Isaiah. God had intended all along uh, that he would send a Messiah who the church would be built, built upon. 
So why have Jesus as your foundation? This is a question for us as a church and for as individuals. Well, he's the only one who can withstand the pressure of having a whole building on him. If we build our life on something else, maybe on our career success, that's going to fail us at some point. And building our life on that, it's eventually going to crumble. Or the approval of other people, other people are going to let us down. That's not a strong enough stone to build a house upon. So if you do have Christ as your foundation, build on him. Think about centering every other stone in your life on that cornerstone. If you don't have Christ as your foundation, how do you come to him? That's the call and the start as you come to him. Really, it's the gospel, the good news, the core of Christianity, what the whole Bible's about. We see a good summary of this later in the chapter in 1 Peter 2, 24 to 25. He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree. It's talking about his death on the cross, which uh, Pastor Mike spoke about a few weeks ago. So we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So the whole point of Christianity is God bringing back into his home those who've gone astray, which includes all of us. It doesn't matter if we were born into a church background, uh, another religion, atheistic. We've all gone astray from the God who created us, but he brought us back. His death was a perfect sacrifice for us. If we put our trust in him, trusting that he forgives us of all our wrongs, saves us from the broken world around us, and guides us the rest of our life like a shepherd, uh, that's what it means to have him as your cornerstone, to put him first. So we're meant to have Jesus as our cornerstone. What's two reactions we could have to that that won't work or that, that are wrong? First is what's talked about in this text, to reject. We see the verse continues here, or the passage continues in 1 Peter 2. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble, a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message. Message is what I just shared about Jesus dying for us, rising from the dead, which is also what they were destined for. So reject seems like a harsh world in our, uh, a harsh word in our polite Canadian society. <coughs> Excuse me, our polite Canadian society. Everyone likes Jesus, right? I don't meet many students on campus who have something against Jesus, maybe against the church, but not against Jesus. But we functionally reject Jesus if we build our foundation on something else, like I was talking about before. If we decide this is our foundation, essentially we're rejecting Jesus as foundation. We might have him as a nice side thing, a good influence in our lives, but that's not who he came to be. And so we are, if we don't have him as who he said he is and who God set him up to be, we are rejecting him. And how is it that Jesus causes men to stumble? It's, again, this building analogy is so good that Peter's using. Because if we don't have the right foundation, everything else we build our life on will, will crumble. If we try to have that cornerstone just in a, in a room, in a, up on the side, on the, on the rooftop, in a window, or keep it out of the house altogether, uh, the house is eventually going to collapse. So one thing is rejecting that stone, just not having Jesus as our foundation. Uh, but one that's probably the same but a bit more subtle is we can have Jesus as a ceremonial cornerstone. 
instead of an actual building cornerstone. So nowadays, you'll see on buildings like some sort of plaque or something. So here's an example of a ceremonial cornerstone. So I spent nine years uh, at Western University in London, and um, one of the colleges uh, here on college, uh, they have this inscription in Greek on a cornerstone, a ceremonial cornerstone. And it's actually 1 Corinthians uh, 9 that says, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. So if you know anything about Western or just any secular university in Canada, you know that they don't care about preaching the gospel. Uh, every message but the gospel is valued, has a place uh, to speak into the culture. Uh, but for the university, that's a nice ceremonial cornerstone. But that's not what the university is built on. Maybe it was at the beginning for, for Huron College, but it's not anymore. It's only ceremonial. And this can happen to us individually or as a community where we just relegate Jesus to that nice stone engraving on the corner. Like, yeah, we give him lip service, we come to church on Sunday, but is he really the center of our lives, the one we're building our lives on? So I even want to just take a, a second, give you a minute to reflect. Is Jesus a cornerstone in your life or just a ceremonial uh, cornerstone? So I'll give you a minute of, uh, of silence just to meditate on that in your own life. Or have you just made him a painting in your house instead of a stone to build your life around? Jesus is the strong, stable, safe cornerstone, unlike anything else we could build our life on. And what does it mean for us as a church to have Jesus as a cornerstone? Simply that being a committed gathering of people who are each putting Jesus as a cornerstone individually and then together as a community. So who is this house built on? Jesus. Now, who is this house built of? Now, it seems like grammatically it would make more sense to say, what is this house built of? But I say who very intentionally. Again, church is ultimately a community of people, not a building. It's easier for us to remember that for our church because uh, we rent a building, we don't have our own building. But that would be just as true if we ever, five years down the road, if we have the funds to get our own building. It's still not about that address. It's about the people. Uh, the Greek word ecclesia, which we translate church, was a word that originally meant uh, uh, assembly of people. So what kind of people make up the church? Now, this, I spent a lot of time meditating on this as I was preparing this. It's such an amazing list of who God says we are. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Uh, a lot of times we talk about seeing God's uh, glory in creation. And usually when people say that, they're referring to, you know, getting out of Toronto, seeing the mountains, the ocean, uh, the, the Muskokas, where you see a lot of green and rocks and, and beauty in that way. Uh, but if you think back to Genesis, all those things are true. Those are God's creation. But what was God most proud of in his creation? With all those other things, with the earth, with the oceans, with the sky, the animals, he said those were good. But when he created humans, he said this is very good. God wants his image to be displayed most of all in, in people. So 
the best way we see creation is looking at other people. I, that's one reason I love Toronto. Every day I get to go by thousands of people that are created in God's image and reflect his glory. Uh, and it's God's ultimate goal to bring all those people back into his family and kingdom, into his house, making this beautiful building that's safe and revolutionary. So let's look briefly at each of these, just a couple of thoughts on each. Uh, so chosen people. Uh, I remember when uh, Sean was born. This was true of my other uh, two boys as well. But that, that feeling, that fir- having your first kid, seeing him come out and just thinking, he's mine. Like, I didn't get to choose what he was like, uh, although you'd think so because I made him look like me. But, uh, um, but I, at that moment, maybe I didn't say these words, but I was choosing, I, he's mine. I'm going to take care of him my whole life. Uh, whatever, whatever he needs, uh, he's mine. Choosing... Uh, choosing him. It's just a wonderful feeling to be chosen, whether it's in a, a, relationship, a romantic relationship or in sports. I was usually chosen last, but still just being cho- picked on a team. And God has chosen us. Uh, that goes far beyond any of those illustrations, because not only are we like God's children, but he is the one who formed us and picked exactly what we'd be like, all our characteristics. We're unconditionally chosen, loved deeply, and it's interesting here, earlier in the passage, talked about Jesus being chosen and precious to God. God uses that same word for us, that we're chosen as well. Uh, so to think how God sees Jesus, he also sees us. So being chosen is special and should lead us to praise. Next, royal priesthood. Today, if you think of a priest, you might think of these select few holy people who serve maybe in a more traditional uh, denomination. It was probably a similar feel to the readers uh, of this letter from Peter, uh, that most of them would have been either Jews or at least familiar with Judaism, where they would have uh, known priests to be the select group of people from the tribe of Levi uh, who uh, were given the task to do certain functions of the worship of God among the Jewish people. They were the only ones who could offer sacrifices, who could do certain things, place of great honor and reverence. Uh, But now Peter is saying that Anyone who follows Jesus is a priest. Anyone. It's not just reserved for these select few, for pastors, ministers, but anyone who follows Christ has this privilege of performing these ceremonies, of preaching the gospel to others, of uh, sharing uh, Christ's message, of caring for and serving for others. Like yesterday, anyone, any of you guys who participated in serving St. Jamestown, you were being a kingdom of priests to our neighborhood, blessing them, giving them free sunglasses, making time to say hi to them, make them feel valued. We get to speak on behalf of people to God and get to speak on behalf of God to people. What an amazing privilege. Uh, We're a holy nation. I maybe won't spend much time on that one right now, Uh, but God's special possession, people belonging to God. We all want to belong, right? We all want someone to consider us their own. Um, a lot of times, you know, we, in our culture that's so diverse, sometimes people don't want to belong to the mainstream culture, but they still want to be part of, accepted in some subculture, uh, whatever it might be. Uh, I remember, uh, background here, I was uh, the nerd kid growing up, and this was before being a nerd was cool. And uh, so I always felt like I was kind of on the outside. And I remember one time at university, it was first year university, and uh, Christy, a girl uh, who I went to the same high school with, uh, friends with, she was uh, turning 19 and so going to the bar with a bunch of friends uh, for her birthday party. Problem was, I was only 18. I don't know how I got invited to this party, but I got invited. I'm like, shoot, uh, I can't go to the bar, I'm not old enough. Uh, But this was back in the day uh, where you didn't have photo ID, 
uh, there were no photos on your driver's license. So I had a friend, Mike, in residence, uh, who was the same height. It, did, it said your height and your eye color. And he was 6'1", he had blue eyes. So like, Mike, I really want to go to this party. Can I borrow your ID? And uh, so I, uh, I borrowed his ID and I memorized the address. Like, what if the bouncer asked me, uh, test me if this is really me, because I'm sure this has happened before. So I had all his address memorized, everything, knew everything about Mike. So anyway, we, I go, there's uh, Christy and a few other friends. Uh, they go in, and I'm like the last one to go in. The bouncer looks at my ID, looks at me, and I, he probably knew right away because I know I'm shaky, I'm nervous. And, uh, and he, he looks at it and he says, uh, what's your zodiac sign? I'm like, uh, Sagittarius, Pisces. Uh, I, like, I totally blew it. I didn't know. He, I was found out. But then, so he's ready to kick me out. But then he looks. It just so happened I had arrived at the party with Christy, and about six other girls who are all quite good looking. And uh, so he kind of looks in at them and then looks at me. And I guess he's playing in his mind, if I kick him out, are they going to leave too? Uh, so he just says, go on in. And uh, I felt like, oh, I belong. Not because I, <laughs> because I belonged with that group somehow, I made it in. Uh, and that's how it is with the, with the kingdom. We don't get into God's family. We don't get into heaven, into his house by our own credentials. We all, we all fail. We don't have the right ID. But God, because of who is, he is and what he's done, he brings us in with him. We're God's special possession of people belonging to him. And we're also foreigners and exiles, which I'll touch on in the last, last point here. Uh, two quick notes as we look at this list of things that we are. Uh, one, does this lead to arrogance to say, you know, we're a chosen people, God's special possession? Uh, does that lead us to thinking we're better than other people? And I think wrongly understood, they could. But rightly understood, there's no room for that. So look at the context here. Once you were not a people, but now you're a people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Uh, anything we have, any position we have in God's house, is not because of who we are. It's because of who God is and what he's done for us. And then that security of knowing we're accepted, that we're chosen people no matter what we've done, that frees us to lay down our lives for our city and our world and freely offer that same, those same things to everyone else. And also, all these things are plural. Notice that it's not, you're not a chosen person or a royal priest. It's people, priesthood, nation, God's people. We're being, as it said in the start of the passage, we're being built together like living stones. And you know, being plural isn't easy. Uh, if you think of one thing that keeps a house together, that keeps stones, a house built of stones together, is the friction between those stones that keep them, from, uh, keep them from sliding off each other. And I've definitely had times in my life where I feel like the Christian community, the church, there's friction. Even this summer, Cindy and I, uh, our family had the toughest summer of our lives. Cindy's dad uh, took his own life early in the uh, summer, uh, completely out of the blue, unexpected. And... Uh, I remember sometimes my cynical mind, you just get in these cycles. I think, I have a lot of different Christian friends from here and other places. I'm, oh, why didn't that person come to the funeral? Why didn't that person uh, come uh, or ask us how we're doing? And I start thinking, oh, maybe it's just easier to be alone, not be part of a community. But when I stop and think about it, A, I'm not always like that to other people. But also, again, this passage that We've all received mercy. We're all just people in need of mercy from God. And on the other hand, there were people 
friends from other places, so many from this church, especially from our body life group, who just came around us and were that, uh, that safe building. Uh, I know he'd be embarrassed for me to say it, but just Isaiah dropping everything to be with us in the evenings, to offer to watch our kids, to coordinate meals from other people in our body life group. Uh, church doesn't always get it right, but if this community is chosen and precious by God, I want it to be chosen and precious to me too and to be that safe house for others. But last, I want to end with this. I won't spend as much time as other uh, two points because uh, Pastor Mike is covering society next week. But this house isn't just safe, but it's revolutionary. And it's revolutionary because where this house is built. This house is built, meant to be built in the world. Let's look at this last passage. I'll skip by those pictures for now. Um, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now pagans, that's just a word that was used to refer to those outside the church. Um, How do we live these godly lives? The beginning of the passage talked about ridding ourselves of malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind especially in today's polarizing world, when we live that kind of life out in the world, not just in our own uh, circles, not just here on Sundays, but in the rest of our lives, that stands out. Uh, Even just ridding ourselves of something as simple as slander can make us stand out. And what is God's purpose for the church? We see that those outside the church will glorify God on the day he visits us. Earlier in the passage, it says that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. We don't do these things just in goal of making ourselves more holy. But as John Piper said, God made us who we are to show the world who he is. God made us who we are to show the world who he is. And at TLC, we talk about finding our identity and destiny in Christ. Uh, But again, that's not the end. The second part of our mission statement is influencing the city and the world. God wants his church to display him to the world. We can't do that if we keep to ourselves. We need both those things of living such good lives, but also among the world, in the world. It's hard. The world sees our, our struggles, uh, our body life group that we host in our place. I'm sometimes nervous about that because it's easy to put on a good face for an hour on Sunday. But when people come to our home, they see how critical I can be of Cindy and, our, and my boys. Uh, they see um, the negative side of me too. But in the midst of that dirt, they can see a beautiful home, not our condo, but of a community of people who love each other, can forgive each other, build each other up. So ultimately, how will the church live out this purpose in the world of being built in the world uh, to be revolutionary, pointing people to Jesus? These things fit together so well, the safety and the revolutionary, being secure in who we are in Christ, knowing that Christ lived that good life that we couldn't, but we get to partake in that, that counts for us, so we can be so secure in our relationship with God that we're okay to go out into the world. We're okay for people to see our flaws and um, know that we're not, not perfect. And then, because we don't have to be accepted by our home country, talked about being foreigners and exiles, our ultimate home isn't here. There's another one. So we're okay if people misunderstand us. And, but we want to point them to our eternal home, to Jesus who died for them as well. So the church is both the safest and the most revolutionary house in the world. Let's live that out uh, this week and this year. Well, we want to move into our response time now. Here at Trinity Life, uh, 
we center that around communion or the Lord's Supper. I'd like to invite up the servers uh, who are helping with that today as I read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So communion is a chance to declare that the church universal, our local church, our individual lives are centered on the cornerstone of Jesus. And it's also a chance to remind each other that we're not in this alone. We're stones being built together into a beautiful house that God's making. And it doesn't uh, matter today if uh, uh, Trinity Life is your home church or not, but if you're someone who Jesus is your cornerstone, then please come uh, partake with us. And if Jesus is not your foundation, it wouldn't make sense for you to participate in this uh, because what it is is declaring that Jesus is central in your life. That's totally fine. No pressure. Just sit, reflect on uh, what we've talked about this morning and think, what are you building your life on? And is Jesus a living stone that uh, your house has been meant to be built on? And if you're putting your trust in Christ for the first time, please, you're welcome to come take this as an expression of that. But anyone partaking now um, can come out of your aisle to the right and uh, return to your seats. But uh, let me pray for us. Jesus, you are our foundation, our everything. Um, even when it seems like we've built things for ourselves, everything we have is a gift from you. And thank you uh, that you, um, you are uh, safe in one sense, that uh, we can come to you and know we're fully accepted and we don't have to fear, as the song we sang earlier, uh, because of your death and resurrection, um, and that we can invite others and be a part of a community uh, that is safe. Lord, thank you also that you don't leave us there. You send us out uh, to invite others in. And uh, Lord, that's tough. It's dangerous sometimes. But um, use us, and use this time right now to uh, remind us of who you are and your uh, central cornerstone place in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.